What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Oh, my God. This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the two-man power trip podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the prince of pro wrestling, and you are listening to two-man power trip. This is Jimmy Vine, the boogie Wooker man. Tell my people my brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the show again i appreciate you asking me back so you said you were going to pinch yourself i didn't know it was that kind of show now i mean if you guys are in the privacy of your own home if you want to do these things good how you doing chad hey johnny cool man what's going on we're ready to go or what uh, okay. hey man what's up guys this is homicide oh that's my homie homicide with a big homie club yeah that would be it hey this is david penzer and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid, I, they knew they could kick the out of me. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now... They bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. going to keep an eye on this situation. I've seen this happen before. Somebody dims the light and then somebody does it literally. Wrist with an elbow. It's a twilight doubleheader. Dim, there's something rotten here in Atlanta and it ain't Lindbergh cheese. Foot on the rope. The fast press almost had him with the foot on the rope. Was this foot on the rope before the three count, Jim? I didn't see it. It was a three count, I don't think. Well, Rich has tossed the referee over, and now we're trying to drop Rich over the top rope. That should be disqualification. This one here has become very chaotic. Rich has, he threw Tommy Young aside, and now return to this. No referee physically able to officiate this match. There's Rich with a sweeper on Rotunda. Rotunda kicking a referee. There's something wrong here, Jim. There's something wrong. The lights are out. I thought there was a three count. I thought there was a DQ. The referee's still down. Could Gary Hyde have something to do with this? Is he trying to separate clear up after the big surprise that they gave him? Tommy Young is hurt here. I have seen strange matches in my day, but this is the strangest I've ever seen. There's something behind this, and I think it stems from the big surprise clear through at high. Nick Patrick's in the ring. They're going to try to help Tommy Young. Rotunda's got the rope, and Rotunda's going to steal one. 
the two-man power trip of wrestling, brought to you today and powered by our good friends down at Classic Pro Wrestling. This Saturday night, July 15th, at the New Kent High School in New Kent, Virginia, we see the return of the Crockett Foundation Cup, built off of the original concept of the Jim Crockett Senior Memorial Cup and fully endorsed by the Crockett Foundation, the epic tag team tournament that made tag team tournaments famous returns to professional wrestling and where it belongs down in the Richmond, Virginia area as Classic Pro Wrestling brings you a magical night filled with a lot of memories and one big trophy on the line for the winners of the Crockett Foundation Cup and you can head over to facebook.com slash TMPT of wrestling and find out all the information on how you can attend the Crockett Cup as well as our event, which is earlier in the day at the same location, New Kent High School, featuring an afternoon with Hands of Stone, former NWA world champion, rugged Ronnie Garvin. And John and I are so excited for that. But let's get into today's episode. And if you didn't know by now, my name is Chad. And as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, the aforementioned one and only John Paz. And John, today on the show, we head back to the Crockett territory and we interview the most famous referee to come out of that Crockett territory. The one and only Tommy Young joins the two-man power trip. And boy, oh boy, what an awesome interview this is to get you ready for an event like the Crockett Cup going down deep into the roads and into the world of Jim Crockett promotions, traveling with Tommy Young, hitting all the stops in between where he's been, what he's done, and all the great matches and feuds that he has been a part of. And this is going to be one for the ages. And like I said, we'll set the pace for this event of the Crockett Cup, which Tommy Young will be a part of, as well as a host of other great individuals that John will get into in just a minute. But to talk about Tommy Young, obviously one of the most legendary referees in the history of the business. He's a guy who, if you look back at some of those NWA World Championship matches, was involved in nearly all the big ones and always played a pivotal role and made it so believable that this official was in the middle because it was a big match. And we tackle all of those big matches in this chat with Tommy Young. But it is a lengthy chat, so what I want to do is I want to get it over to John because there's a lot we could talk about in this episode, but I want John to kind of give you the, uh, the setting the pace, if you will, for Tommy Young and what we can expect because there's a lot of highlights and there's a lot of ground to cover. But partner, the floor is yours. Tell us what we have to look forward to in this upcoming episode here with the great Tommy Young. Yes, Chad, arguably the greatest referee of all time, Tommy Young joins the two-man power trip of wrestling. Some say it might be a long overdue as we are digging deep into the Jim Crockett Promotions roster. And of course, Tommy Young played a huge role as the former senior referee for Jim Crockett Promotions, many-time referee of the year. And you hear what that actually means in the interview with Tommy Young because he's got a very, very funny story about all those times he won referee of the year. Is it real? Does it even matter? And what Dusty Rhodes' role played in that. So very, very good stuff. Very funny stuff as well. I, I kind of got um, 
you know, blindsided a little bit by it because I thought it was a real award. And uh, you get to hear, hear the uh, true story from Tommy Young. And obviously a big part of that story is Dusty Rhodes, The American Dream. So you want to listen to that. But I just have to mention, as Chad mentioned as well, don't forget about the return of the Crockett Cup Saturday at 7.15 in New Kent, Virginia. Yes, the Crockett Cup is back and the Crockett Foundation is playing a huge role in that. Debbie Ringley, of course, who is Debbie Crockett to some. She is the granddaughter of Jim Crockett, the oldest of the grandchildren of Jim Crockett. So it's going to be awesome to have her on hand, awesome to have the Crockett Foundation on hand because the Crockett Foundation does so much and they help so many people as far as veterans and, of course, service dogs as well. So awesome stuff from the Crockett Foundation. I absolutely love them. And go to the Crockett Foundation's website or hit them up on Facebook. They have some great swag as well. I know I have my Four Horsemen shirt. I know I have my Crockett Foundation shirt. I know I got a lot of swag from them. So please check them out. Buy some stuff. The proceeds will go to the military and the military service people and of course military service dogs as well. So check them out. But besides Debbie going to be on hand for the Crockett Cup don't forget, of course, Tommy Young will be there, obviously. And then um, a part of Classic Pro Wrestling, which is the uh, the league putting on this great, you know, the return of the Crockett Cup, if you will. Sorry, I got a little tongue-tied there. Classic Pro Wrestling, the return of the Crockett Cup. Tommy Young, Debbie Ringley, like I just mentioned. Hands of Stone, Ronnie Garvin, The Rock and Roll Express, Shane Douglas, GMC, that's Gary Michael Capetta, The Powers of Pain, Earl Hebner, and so many more. So don't miss out on the Crockett Cup. 7-15, Saturday, coming up in New Kent, Virginia. But as I'm sticking on the topic of Tommy Young, of course, this is a long and a great interview with him. You get into a lot of topics. We go into his style, the importance of a referee. Of course, we go into the legendary Ric Flair versus Ricky Steamboat bouts, which are arguably the greatest wrestling matches of all time. Some say, you know, Misawa Kawada. Some say now Omega versus Okada. But you can't discount Flair, Steamboat, and the man in the middle of all that, Tommy Young. We dig deep into that. We go into Flair. We go into Steamboat. We go into the feud. We go into 1989 and that awesome year of great work rate and great wrestling and great workers. We go into Tommy Young's injury, obviously at the hands of Tommy Rich. We go into what happened afterwards. We go into his time in the WWF for a brief period and what that neck injury kind of played a role into that. And, of course, an, a very, very super interesting story about a huge controversy with the WWF. He was at a show not too long ago, and he got kicked out. Never was told why, never was given any reason. So, you know, you're definitely going to want to hear that story. It is so intriguing. It's so interesting. It really sticks out to me as like a WTF moment for sure. But sit back, relax, and enjoy a lengthy and great interview with arguably the greatest referee of all time, Tommy Young. Strap in for yet another walk down into the Jim Crockett Promotions territory. Get ready for some great stories from an unbelievable referee in Tommy Young, a referee that up-and-coming refs, people who are training to be referees, definitely need to go back and watch some Tommy Young matches and kind of learn the tricks of the trade and watch what it was like to be a referee at a time where the heat was on, the fans were rabid, 
and they believed every single second and every single match, and Tommy Young being that referee helped sell that product as being so real. And some of these stories that he's going to share today will just get you into going back and watching some old-school wrestling courtesy of Jim Crockett Promotions in the glory days of the NWA. But again, like John said, and like I mentioned earlier, this episode is brought to you fully by Classic Pro Wrestling. And if you're down in New Kent, Virginia, not only can you spend the afternoon with Two Man Power Trip and Ronnie Garvin, but you'll also be able to stay for the Crockett Foundation Cup brought to you by Classic Pro Wrestling, the electric return of the Crockett Foundation Cup to professional wrestling featuring teams that you've seen before, like the Powers of Pain and the Rock and Roll Express, and some Hall of Famers like Jimmy Boogie Woogie Man Valiant. And then you got yourself a Tommy Young, an Earl Hebner, and Hands of Stone, Ronnie Garvin, all in attendance for this amazing return of the Crockett Cup. And John and I are just so excited to be down there in New Kent, Virginia. We're going to record that Q&A, hopefully for a future episode and bring you some of that two-man power trip of wrestling live experience to our airwaves and just get down there and be with the folks at Classic Pro Wrestling and be in the fold with them. They are changing the way we look at independent wrestling and taking it back old school. I know a lot of promotions do that, but the reviews down here in the Richmond, Virginia area are pretty stellar, and they have a lot of happy faces, and we actually have fans coming all the way from the great state of Florida for this show and I believe the, the total that I was told was up to five states coming to attend the Crockett Cup. So, hey, if you're an old school fan, you're in that listening area of Richmond, Virginia, you're within a few hours, come on out. It's worth the drive. You can go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash TMPT of Wrestling, and you can get the information to attend the Q&A with Ronnie Garvin as well as the Crockett Cup. And I cannot wait for this event, and obviously we know that the Crockett's and we know classic pro wrestling can't wait for this event to finally come. And it all goes down in new Kent, Virginia on Saturday, July 15th. So John, with all that being said, let's get ready for this big interview with, with the Crockett cup theme. I hope everybody enjoys the nice little Easter egg I'm throwing in before we get it over to Tommy young, but please hit him with a little bit of two man power trip of wrestling business. And let's get this show on the road. Now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Wrestling Pal. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on iTunes. Please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Also, while on iTunes, check out the feed for prior legendary episodes featuring the living legend Bruno Sammartino, the late great American Dream Dusty Rose, the Enforcer Arn Anderson, Ray Mysterio Jr., Glenn Kane Jacobs. The phenomenal AJ Styles, lead WWE attorney Jerry McDivitt, and so many others. Also, while you're on the internet, check out ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. They are your superstore for all your wrestling t-shirt needs. Check out our page. Check out Tito Santana, Coco Beware, Kevin Thorne, Buff Bagwell, Magnum TA, and so many others. Also, while you're on the web, check out our website, tmptofwrestling.com. And if you're on Android, please check us out on Google Play or Player FM. Follow along with the two-man power trip of wrestling in 2017 as we hit the road and we come to a town near you. In New Kent, Virginia on July 15th for the Crockett Cup. Then follow us down to Philadelphia where we hit the Icons 
Collector's Fest at the 2300 Arena. So please follow along with the two-man power trip of wrestling in 2017, because you never know where we may land. Without any further ado, the former senior referee for Jim Crockett Promotions. He was the referee of the year in 81, 82, 83, 85, and 1986. He is arguably the greatest referee of all time. He is Tommy Young. Please enjoy. We offered $1 million to find the toughest, roughest, meanest men in America. Then we locked them in hand-to-hand -hand combat in the most spectacular display of championship wrestling ever captured on videotape. The Jim Crockett Senior Memorial Cup Tag Team Tournament, the ultimate wrestling event of the year. Now, the wrestling video of the year. Over two hours of hot wrestling action. This one's for all the money and all the glory. And these pros hold nothing back. Million dollar muscle. Million dollar thrills. Million dollar excitement. Plus, the emotional return of the NWA's greatest champion, Magnum TA, and three of his historic matches. Who gets fired up? Who gets blown away? Million dollar action on the wrestling video of the year. The Jim Crockett Sr. Memorial Cup Tag Team Tournament. Over two hours of hot wrestling action. All right. Well, joining us on the line today is the former senior referee for Jim Crockett Promotions. He was referee of the year in 1981, 82, 83, 85, 86, and arguably the greatest referee of all time. He is none other than Tommy Young. Tommy, welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you very much. That's quite an introduction. I, I thank you very much. No problem. And it's funny, you know, when you really look at wrestling history, not too many referees are remembered. We just had on Earl Hebner not too long ago. We've had on a guy, Marty Elias, not too long ago. But you are kind of known as the best. Why do you think, you know, in the annals of time and, and all these referees, you really remember the most and probably the greatest referee of all time? Well, you know, it's it's really just a matter of opinion. Not everybody feels that I was the greatest referee of all time. And if you want my honest opinion as to who the greatest referee of all time, it's the guy you just had, Earl Hebner. He, in my opinion, is the greatest referee of all time. I, we're still very close. Uh, I was recently going to do an event that was going to be sponsored by uh, uh, Bill Eady, uh, the who was a superstar and uh, one of Demolition, a uh, very good friend and a true professional and, and very, very well respected in my profession, former profession, I should say. I, I, I can't think of anybody that ever said anything bad about Bill. And that's saying a lot. And Rich Landrum, who was a uh, former commentator for us on our uh, worldwide wrestling show back when we did it in the uh, late 70s and early 80s, he was involved in it too. But unfortunately, um, 
the sponsors bailed. Uh, I forget the entire reason. And Bill uh, was telling me that it just wasn't going to work in a way that he thought would be good for the guys. Uh, so they did, they decided to let it go. And it was a shame because uh, uh, Earl and his twin brother David uh, were both going to be there, and I was going to spend the night with Earl. But I'm getting away from what the, what you were saying. I consider Earl the greatest referee because he's been around so long. I mean, you know, part of it really has to be longevity. And he's been doing it. Well, I mean, the guy is only two years younger than I am, and I'm going to be 70 years old in July. And Earl is still doing it. He's not doing that much anymore. I think he's doing mostly just a little bit of TV. Uh, His boy Brian is going full tilt. And they've tried to get him back at WWE, but he just won't go. And I I respect him for that. I I told him, I said, you know, why don't you go back? Because that's really, that's where the money is. But he said, no, not the way they treated me. And uh, he won't. He's going to stay with TNN, which I think is on pretty solid ground again. I think they've got another backer. I think their original backer was a gal named uh, Dixie Carter, and I don't think she's in it anymore. There's someone else now. And uh, they're still going strong. Um, I, I guess the reason that I might have maybe stood out a little bit is because I threw so much, uh, it's tough for me to say, really. I guess emotion into it. Uh, you know, the bottom line is is entertaining the people. And I, I never had any uh, qualms of, that's what I want to be. I want to be a wrestling referee. I never did. I wrestled first. I wanted to wrestle. <laughs> and, uh, boy, I bombed out in that. I mean, I dunk the joint out, and I knew it. I knew I wasn't going to make it as a wrestler. And I just kind of stumbled into refereeing by accident. They didn't have a referee one night. I was around. I said, why don't you just scratch your mat? my match? It doesn't mean anything. I was on the opening match. And uh, I did it. And the guys were all, all telling me, geez, you seem to be a natural at this. You ought to do it more. We don't really have good referees. Uh, this was back, uh, I actually started in 73. So back then, referees weren't as much a part of it in a lot of different states. My former state, where I'm from, Michigan, uh, they had a commission. So uh, they had their own referees, and they were just like you know people that did it on the side or something. It, it wasn't a life or a living for them like it is for me or was for me. And uh, I just got into it. I mean, I, 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 nobody trained me. Uh, I just learned it on my own. But for some reason, by the grace of God, he gave me the ability to understand the position that I was in, to how to deal with the people, because that's so important, because there's so much natural heat on a referee. I mean, the whole wrestling business was designed to make the referee look bad because you know when it's just it was basically back when I was in it it was basically good versus evil and uh good could not get beat by evil legitimately that was just out because <laughs> you lose all the faith in the good so if good gets beat well it's because he slipped on a banana peel or the referee didn't see something he was supposed to see. You know, you just you just couldn't 
get beat right in the middle of the ring uh, with a submission hold. I mean, people are not going to believe in you very long if you do that. And uh, it, it just it, it kind of stemmed from that. I I, uh, I just got into what I was doing. I loved it. Most referees didn't love they were doing and didn't really want to do it. Nick Patrick, who wound up, you know, making a career of it, and a very good career. I saw Nick recently at the last WrestleCade in Winston-Salem around Thanksgiving of last year. Him and his dad, Jody, were both there, uh, looking real good and everything. But Nick wanted to wrestle. But Nick had bad knees, and and he just couldn't wrestle. It just wasn't going to work for him. See, he was able to... um, to, to, uh, to, to have a pretty good career as a referee. But he, he would have, if he'd had his choice, he would have wrestled. Uh, Teddy Long, who was my deputy for a while uh, in WCW in the late 80s, uh, his, his big thing was he wanted to, uh, to be a manager. And, and he eventually became one. Uh, he was, I think, doing the... Uh, I think it was Danny Spivey and uh, Sid Vicious. I think they were the the Towers or something. But but he he was managing in in the late '80s. But these guys all wanted to, you know, they didn't want to ref. Me, I never wanted to do anything but ref. I knew, brother, you are good at this. Stay with this. You may not be worth a damn in something else, but you stand out at least to a degree. The guys seem to like you, and that's really what you got to go by is is how the guys feel, you know. And I always felt good about the fact that virtually all the world champions wanted me, had a great, well, Ric Flair was a close friend at one time. He's basically an acquaintance now, uh, but, but we were very close friends at one time, but I was pretty much... Uh, you know, his pers- almost his personal referee. I mean, I was doing the vast majority of matches uh, steam, but with him and Steamboat. And my God, I it was such an honor to do those matches. And uh, you know, that they uh, Harley Race, a great performer. I always enjoyed working with him. I mean, all of them. I I, I got a chance to uh, referee uh, Buddy Rogers. He was, you know, up there in years, but he was still over because he looked so good in the late 70s. And he worked a hell of a program here with Flair. And uh, it would have continued, but uh, he had a bad reputation. A lot of people didn't like him. And he kind of basically got run right out of the territory by Blackjack Mulligan. And it was a shame that that happened. But uh, one thing that really stood out, and it wasn't, too long before I got hurt. I think it was our second clash of the champions. I think so now. I think this is in uh, New Orleans uh, in 89, I think. Maybe it was 88, 88, 89. But this, this particular night, all the world champions were there, former champions. I'd never seen this before. I never knew that it had happened. I mean, I mean you had flair who was the, the current champion. Uh, of course, Steamboat, Steamboat was there wrestling him that night. I think Steamboat was the champion at the time. But there, as 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 dignitaries, you had Dory and Terry Funk. You had Luthez. You had Buddy Rogers. You had Pat O'Connor, 
Gene Kaniski, Jack Briscoe, Harley Race. I'm probably forgetting somebody. <laughs> but, I mean, that was really special. I'm looking around in the dressing room with all these guys, and I'm like, wow, these are the elites, all the former champions. The only one that wasn't there, that, uh, and I never got a chance to meet him, was a guy named Dick Hutton, who uh, Pat O'Connor took the title from Hutton, and then Buddy took it from Pat, and and Buddy lost it to Thez, and Thez to Kaniski, and Kaniski to Dory, and so on right up the line. Never got a chance to meet Dick Hutton. He didn't draw very well, but he was a very good wrestler, and never got a chance to meet him. He, rind- he reminded me a lot of Bill Watts, who I really didn't know either. But all those former guys were there, and uh, I had very good relationships with virtually virtually all of them. And and that's that's an honor. I mean, it really is. It, it was great. But I just got into what I was doing, and I do have a flair for the dramatic. My whole family is like that. Uh, I always wanted to make sure that people knew what I was doing. I was very demonstrative in the things that I did. I would always be yelling in the ring because I wanted the audience to hear what I was saying. You know, not the people in the in the balcony, they can hear me, but, you know, the people within 10, 20 rows of ringside can. And uh, I, 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 I'd be yelling and, and, you know, going back and forth. And I just wanted to entertain the people as best I can and make it easier for the wrestlers. I always tell all referees, anybody that's interested in talking to me or that's impressed with me, I always tell them the same thing. It is our job to make the wrestler's job easier. And I didn't get along with everybody. <laughs> uh, I had some detractors and people that I did not enjoy being in the ring with. But, of course, you're going to have that. But on an overall basis, it was a great career. And I'm sorry for being so long-winded, but I do get carried away sometimes. <laughs> hey, no problem at all. The awesome stuff there. And one thing, you know, you mentioned – about Earl, first you said, you know, he was the best, but he was trained by you. So, you know, that kind of says why he might be the best. But then you mentioned well, uh, Flyer and Steamboat, you know, and, and talking about being the best and you being a part of that match, or, or excuse me, series of matches, that is, you know, part of being the best as well. It was such an honor. I just, it was really great that we all came along at the same time. Flair broke in about the same time I did. I think it was 73. And he was here in the Mid-Atlantic area because I'm talking to you from Charlotte right now. When I when I had to leave, I, I continued to stay in Charlotte. Uh, it is my home now. I've been living here since, well, since 75, almost from the beginning of my career. So I love it here. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't want to go back to Michigan mainly because of the weather. But uh, virtually most of my career was here uh, working for the Crockett family. And then in the late 80s, uh, they ran into some difficulty, and and they had to sell it to Turner, and I went with them, and, of course, I got hurt. Um, You can see the injury anytime you ever want. Just just pull up Tommy Young on the – on YouTube, and it shows what happened to me and how I, you don't actually see me get hurt, but you see me disappear from the picture, and then I'm laying there, and it was goodbye career. But 
Flair, like I said, came along in 73. He was here when I got here, but he, he was just getting the push. They had just had a bad plane crash here that happened in late 75. Uh, my first year down here, really, I wasn't even living here yet, was 75. I was working for the old IWA that organization that formed in 75. And we were kind of going in opposition everywhere to, to different establishments. Uh, New York, when it was uh, 3W and not F, it was actually E, it was actually a Worldwide Wrestling Federation was what it was originally called. And they dropped it to just Worldwide or uh, World Wrestling Federation. And then I guess they had a copyright problem with the World uh, Wildlife Fund or something. They were like WWF, so they switched it to WWE, which is what it is now, World Wrestling Entertainment. And it's always been entertainment, but they totally changed it around where it's what, what it is now is nothing that I even remember. And I probably wouldn't even fit in as much now because they don't hardly do anything with the referee anymore. And uh, they're geared mainly to children now. Wrestling is, is not for all people anymore. It's basically for the kids. They've turned it into that kind of thing. And uh, But anyway, Flair was here, and, and uh, things were taken off in 76. He worked a program with Wahoo because he had to recuperate a little bit. Some people in that crash in the plane recuperated okay, and others were were maimed forever. Johnny Valentine being one of them. Flair was okay. He had a back, he had a back injury, but he came back and he worked a program that year, '76 with Wahoo, real strong. And in '77, Steamboat came along. He actually broke in in Minnesota, same place where Flair did. Even though Flair is from that area, where Steam is from, St. Petersburg, Florida, the uh, same city where Hulk Hogan's from. And he came in from uh, from Georgia. He was working down in Georgia. Ole was kind of running things, I think, back then. It was 77. And Ole didn't like Steamboat style or something. I don't remember the exact situation. But but uh, he came in. And um, he was just, you know, going to work underneath. And I remember we were in uh, a town called Colonial Heights, which is a suburb of Richmond, what I was just talking about a little while ago. Uh, we're going to have a, a small show there. We call them spot shows. And back then, you know, one referee just did everything. And uh, I was the referee that night, and he was wrestling. Steamboat was wrestling in a prelim match. A guy that's still here in Charlotte, he's retired and still looks great, a guy named Sergeant Jacques Goulet. And... Uh, they they wrestled a Broadway, which we called it. That That's a draw. They just went through, went to a 20-minute draw. And the people, I remember, just went nuts over Steamboat. And I remember going back to my boss, George Scott, because I used to have to report. I mean, I was, there are certain things that aren't, aren't really very well respected and said you try to keep away from them but one of the words is stooge and and i was one of the people i was i had to report to george let him know how the matches were and everything 
after uh, George left, I didn't have to do that anymore, but I understood why George did it. And all referees had to do it. They had to report. They were, we were his eyes and ears. You know, he can't be at all the shows. And back then we were running two, three shows a night. I was around a fellow named Zach Murray. Earl was here. David was here briefly, but Dave left pretty quick to go with McMahon right from the beginning. And then Earl went later on when they did that fantastic twin brother situation, if you remember, uh, between Andre and Hogan. What a brilliant, (laughs) what a brilliant angle that was. That was just out of this world. And uh, but I told George, I said, "Boy, you really might want to take a look at this kid. God, the audience loved him." And uh, it was Flair that went to George and said, "Give me Steamboat. I, I think we can work a hell of a program." And uh, they worked a deal where I think Steamboat or oh, Flair uh, rubbed his face on the concrete, and they hard waited. I mean. He he didn't gimmick himself up before it. Flair literally rubbed his face right across the doggone floor on the concrete, and Steam's face was all scuffed up. I I know that hurt like hell. And then later on, and he he Flair comes out with two gals. Not that same day, of course, but I think it was about a week or two later where Steamboat supposedly recuperated, and he attacked Flair and beat the hell out of him and stripped him down to just those little little skivvy briefs, you know. And anyway, that thing took off, and that was '77. That's when they first started wrestling, and right up until the end of my career, '89, uh, back and forth, every match I did. I just loved, I mean, they went together like, you know, love and marriage, horse and carriage, bacon and eggs. I mean, their styles just complemented each other. They they were super athletes who who had a great regimen and working out. Flair's conditioning was absolutely incredible. I used to work out with him, and he had a Stairmaster. Not one of those ones where you just pump it, but an actual stair stairs that you climb like like an escalator and i i watched him one time do a hundred flights of stairs and he was barely even breathing i could do 20 25 and i'm huffing and puffing my legs get so heavy and i considered myself to be in reasonably good shape but nobody was in the shape flair was he could blow up anybody but he couldn't blow up steamboat he could not blow up steamboat because steamboat had as good a work ethic as flair did and they just complimented each other so well and drew nothing but money. And by the grace of God, I just happened to come along at the same time, so you had all three of us in there together. And they knew that they could do anything, and I'd be there for them. There were always tons of false finishes, you know, a lot of one-twos and coming out of it at the last second. And sometimes I'd put my hands up together to see how close it was. And I never saw anybody do that. It was just something that happened. There were times I would I'd slide across the ring, and there were times I'd slide right out of the ring on the floor and take a bump and uh, bang myself up a few times doing that, but just, just to show the hustle of it. Get a guy in the corner, and you're standing on the turnbuckle, second turnbuckle, pounding on him, and I would get out of the ring and hold the ring post and where I'm counting where he can see my count. Didn't have to do that, but I thought it added to it a little bit. And anything that they didn't want me to do, I wouldn't do, but nobody ever told me 
don't do that. I don't like that. Uh, they, they, and, and believe me, if they tell you to do something or that you don't like or that they don't like, you, you listen. They're the bosses. They're the ones that are bringing the fans in. I mean, I'm helping, but the fans don't even know I'm going to be there. They're going to see the main event. So these are the guys. And, and my body never took the pounding theirs did. I probably took more bumps than anybody else did, referee-wise. But, I mean, these guys are taking these bumps all the time. I'm taking one every so often. So there was no comparison whatsoever. But it was such an honor, an honor to be in there with those two guys. I have nothing but total respect for them. They're my heroes, and and they made me a good living. I mean, you know, they we drew so much money with them, and you know, the better the house, the better the payoff. So uh, we used to have a thing where we called it A team, B team, and C team. And certain guys, if they were the main event, oop, we're on C team tonight, meaning it's not going to draw. And other guy, oh, we're on B team or on A team, something like that. But. Uh, Back in the 70s, late 70s or early 80s, when George Scott was running it, we sometimes had three three shows a night. And uh, it was very busy, and uh, it was really great working with those two guys. I don't get a chance to see Steam. It's it's hard to stay in touch with him. But I saw him at WrestleCade, too, and Flair was there as well. A bunch of guys were at WrestleCade in Winston-Salem about six months ago. And it was great to see everybody there. Uh, uh, Ricky's boy, uh, Ricky Jr., was with him. Unfortunately, he had a back injury, which really torpedoed a great career there because that kid had it all. A handsome kid, good body, humble attitude, and, but it, it didn't work out. So he I, I forget what he's doing now, but he's doing well. I think he's living down in Florida with Rick. He might even be one of the trainers down there because that's, that's where their school is. And, uh, and Flair is living in Atlanta. I, I don't, don't uh, stay in touch with him. I did see him at, uh, at WrestleCade and uh, had a nice visit with him. But they're both doing well, I guess, and uh, I wish them all the all the luck in the world, and it was just a great honor to be their referee. And with you, it's great because you definitely add to the match. And, and, you know, they say, you know, a referee could take away, a referee could add. You were adding to those matches. I mean, your unique style, like you said, you kind of go outside the ring to make the pin. Uh, You had a great psychology. You know, you'd sell some bumps or Flair would push you. Is that kind of you guys going over anything, or do you guys just kind of call in the ring and, and you're kind of just playing off everything? Those everything was spontaneous. We we didn't. I mean, even Flair and Steam, they they they'd go over their finish, of course, and I had to know that. People would say, "Did you know what they were going to do?" I said, "Well, of course I did. I had to. If I didn't, I'd screw the whole thing up." Because I'm the official. Of course, I knew what they were going to do. But they uh, they might do a spot or two in, in the dressing room, but that's it. I mean, everything with them was spontaneous, just as we go. You know, call something in the ring quietly, that. But they were just so good. I mean, and there were some guys that hardly ever talked. They just did stuff. Tully was like that, Tully Blanchard. Didn't hardly talk at all in the ring. 
but you pretty much knew what he was going to do. He's a great performer. He had a little problem with his attitude sometimes. Tell he had some demons, but he's a good man, and uh, he's living in Texas and doing well. Uh, I think I saw him at, at Wrestlecade too. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, it's just it was just so much fun, and I just wish I could have done it longer. I had a decent career. I had 15 years, but it's like I said, you know, it it happened in '89. So we're talking almost 28 years ago that I got hurt. I mean, my God, that that's a long time ago. And frankly, I'm stunned that st- people are still impressed with me, because really, a referee doesn't a referee doesn't even compare to a wrestler. There's no comparison whatsoever. Even what I did, it's it's nothing compared to what they do. So anytime I'm honored or anybody that's that's flattered to meet me, I'm just as flattered. When when I go to these fan fests, I mean, I uh, there are some guys there that just they're they're trying to sell everything they can and milk the fans for every damn dime they got. I'm the type of guy, hey, these people are paying money just to get in the doors, and there are people. And, I mean, I had some pictures that I made up, but that was all. Just, I mean, God, Jim Cornette, my buddy Corny, you ought to see all the stuff he sells. I mean, he's got books, pictures, hats, all sorts of stuff. And rock and rollers, Ricky and Robbie, all the stuff they sell. All I had was some pictures made up, and I didn't even push them. I would just sit there and, hey, how you doing, and wouldn't say, hey, you want to buy a picture? Wanna... I just sit there and start talking to people and let them mention the pictures. And if they don't even mention them, I don't even push them because I was just happy to be there. I'm being paid to be there, and it's nice to make some extra money. But I was just, I was there for the fans. And uh, God knows they gave me a lot of hell during my career. Although I think I was more popular than most referees because I think a lot of the people just appreciated the hustle and all that that I did because I really got into what I was doing. And another thing, too, if if you watched a Flair Steamboat match, they rarely went home, as we called it, uh, ending the match, before the 40-minute mark. These guys always wrestled a good while. Sometimes they'd go 45, 50 minutes. There was a situation one time where Flair had an accident, and he ate too close to the matches. And and uh, I, I don't want to get too graphic because I've talked about this before. I mean, but I think we've all had a situation in our life where we where we couldn't hold our our load, so to speak, and had an accident in our britches. It's happened to me, and this particular night it happened to Rick. And we were in a sold-out Charlotte Coliseum, about 12,000 people in there, the old Coliseum, which is still there. It's called, I think it's called Bojangles Arena now, where I did all the shows. And But, I mean, it wasn't like, oh, got to go, got to go. No, they went another seven, eight minutes. And needless to say, things didn't smell real good. <laughs> it was a bad situation. <laughs> it was the only time that that ever happened. The only the one time uh, Hawk, uh, Mike Mike Hextrap, uh, Hawk of the Road Warriors, one time he he barfed <laughs> in uh, Richmond, Virginia, 
and we were swapping back and forth. Big shows, there would be two referees. You know, I'd go to the ring for one, then we'd swap out. And I hit the ring, and they had just done, and I forget who I was repping, but I get in the ring, and there's barf in the ring. And I, what the hell? So I just got a broom and, and swept it up. I didn't even call any attendance in or anything. I said, get me a broom, and I swept the damn ring up. Uh, he didn't barf real heavily, but, and of course, you know, that leaves an odor too, but hey, they didn't have another ring cover, and there wasn't time to do it, so I just swept up the ring, uh, the little bit of moisture there was seeped into it, so it, it dried up, and you just do what you gotta do, I mean, things are gonna happen, nothing was more horrible than what happened to poor Owen Hart, in, uh, in, I think it was, was that in Canada that happened, where he came was coming down from the ceiling, and he, he slipped. City. I think it was Kansas City. It may have been, yeah, and he slipped out of the harness somehow. Apparently, it was never, never secured. Actually, Sting was the one that was starting to do that step first, and they picked up on it from him. And Owen must have slid out of it, and he fell into the ring, and the fans thought that was part of the show. They didn't. They didn't even know it was an accident, and uh, and and they finished the show, and he he died that evening. He may have died right in the ring. I don't know, but that that stuff is not supposed to happen. But you got to be careful about stuff like that. You got to make sure you're secured. And I don't know whose fault it was. It, it's really a shame. I didn't know Owen that well, but he was a nice guy. I wrapped him a few times, and uh, but you know accidents can happen. Look what happened to me. I mean, a guy gets careless with me, and uh, I get my neck broke, and goodbye career. Uh, I'm not bitter about it anymore. I don't know that I ever really was bitter because it was an accident, but it was a careless one. And it probably cost me a million dollars in lost wages. And like I said, you know, Earl's still doing it. Uh, he ain't doing it much, but he's still doing it. And I find that amazing. That, that Earl can still do it, and that's why I got so much respect for him. And uh, and something else, too. I did not train Earl. Earl tells people that I trained him, but he's just saying that to put me over. I didn't train Earl. Earl learned on his own just like I did. He learned from his brother David. He learned some stuff from me. I, I picked up some stuff from watching other referees. I'm not going to tell you I didn't. You, but but I didn't. I never trained anybody earl learned on his own and 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 that that other thing that you were saying at the beginning i have to be honest about too <laughs> five-time referee of the year if i got an award i'm not even aware of it i don't ever <laughs> recall getting a they didn't give awards to referees dusty who was my boss you know in the late 80s uh for 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 Crockett when we were really taken off with the Starcades, mid-80s to late-80s. He did that thing about five-time referee of the year. And I actually did it in an interview uh, that I did, uh, where something about J.J. Uh, stealing some money from Dusty, and they interviewed me later. It was in Greensboro with Tully, Tully and Dusty. And, and uh, But no, I never got an award. They didn't give awards to referees. If they did, I'm not aware of it. But uh, that stuff about five-time referee of the year, that's bull tweet. I never got an award in my life that way. I got some awards later on, you know, that I've got hanging up in here. But I never really took myself that seriously because I knew, hey, you're just a referee. 
<laughs> you're not one of the big boys. But when it comes to the TV, let's face it, if people see you all all the time on TV, you're a celebrity. You you may not really be one, but, but they think you are because you're on TV. Everybody wants to be on TV. I remember when I was first on, oh, wow, man, I'm on TV. And then after a while, I'd have people over sometimes, and I'd be turning the station, and there'd be a match on, and I was repping it, and I kept right on going. And, hey, man, there you are. I said, yeah, I know, but, I mean, for Pete's sake, I've seen it a million times. I, I'm not impressed with that anymore. I mean, the only time I really wanted to watch it was if I wanted to see something specific to see if I did it right or how it looked. But, I mean, it was my living. I sure as hell did not want to watch wrestling in my spare time. That's It was my living. You know, I just not. But there are guys that do. I mean, Corny's like that. Corny eats, drinks, drinks and sleeps. I'm talking about Jim Cornette again. I call him Corny. Uh, he eats, drinks, and sleeps wrestling. And Corny says that Vince McMahon, Vince uh, Jr., puts him to shame. He says all he does is live wrestling, even in his sleep. So, you know, I really hate the fact that wrestling has gone the way that it has, and I do blame Vince for that. But I also have to admit, in my opinion, Vince McMahon is a genius. I mean, everything he touches seems to turn to gold. I mean, hell, he's even he's even friends with President Trump. And his wife, Linda, I believe is in Trump's uh, cabinet. She's she's running something. Yep. And, and, and they did a thing, him and Trump, a few years ago, where somebody was going to lose their hair. And everybody knew Trump wasn't going to lose his hair. Everybody knew it was going to be Vince that was going to lose it. But, uh, yeah, they're, <laughs> like I said, everything Vince touches seems to just turn to gold. you you got to respect him for that. Don't know him that well, but he's always been very nice to me the few times that I've I've come in contact with him. Worked for him a few times. I did two shows for him in in '98. Uh, Corny actually engineered that. I was surprised they ever let me in the ring, but I don't think Vince was totally aware of my disability, and I they were going to actually use me in some house shows, and then somebody woke up and whoa, Tommy Young, come on, he sued he sued Turner. So we we can't take that chance. So they had to back out. I said, well, I don't blame you. I, frankly, I never thought you were going to let me in the ring. It was very dangerous. I mean, they Tony Gurria, an old friend, a guy that didn't smile much, but he's a good guy. Uh, he he was one of the agents, and he came to me with the release. And I said, yeah, I'll sign this thing, Tony. But I'll tell you right now, if I get hurt, that release ain't going to protect you guys. I said, you're still going to be liable. And he said, yeah, it's a bluff, but we got to do it, Tommy. So I, I signed the damn thing, and we did it. Everything was fine. Uh, and actually, uh, they used me for the Steamboat DVD that they put out. I did a bunch of commentary on that. Uh, they sent a camera crew here to Charlotte to interview me and paid me well. But the last time uh, I came in contact with them, which was about five years ago, uh, I got thrown out of the building. If you can believe that, somebody had me wow. thrown out. This was this was during the day. They were setting up for the night show. It was ironic. I had I had been taking care of a friend of mine, an old boyhood friend of mine, 
and uh, he died, and I, uh, I, I sent his body back up to Michigan. He was going to be buried there. And his two boys, who I was very close to, and I'm kind of like their surrogate father now, they're big in wrestling. And uh, when I flew up, I, when I drove up, is what I did. I, the body, I had the body flown up, but I drove up myself. And it just so happened that uh, they were going to be in town that week at the, uh, the Joe Louis Arena in Detroit. That's where they have the hockey and everything. And they have shows there. They also have them at the Palace. And, of course, they had the real big one in the Silverdome in 87, uh, Wrestle, uh, uh, WrestleMania three, which at the time was a record. That was really something. Would have been nice to have been a part of that. But um, anyway... Uh, uh, d- different buildings, and and but anyway, I stopped by during the day at Joe Louis Arena. I thought I'll go down there. The boys just lost their father, and the kids were like, you know, fourteen, and now uh, they were like thirteen and sixteen. And uh, I was gonna see if maybe I could, you know, bring them. The, the, their grandfather already had tickets that night. But I thought, hey, maybe I can get them in, see some of the guys, meet them, because they just lost their father. So I stopped by there that day while they were setting up, and Robbie, my old buddy, uh, Charles Robinson, who's uh, working for them right now, may be off because he hurt his foot, but he'll be back if he's not back already. He got me in because it's different now. I mean, when they set up a show, they've got like about, 20 trucks out there it's just unbelievable the equipment they've got and when they used to come to charlotte here it wasn't anything like that and i could walk in or out of there i i one time i walked into an interview and they didn't even get upset at me <laughs> but this particular time he had to get me uh robbie had to get me in and he got me a pass uh, backstage pass for everything because I just wanted to say hello to some of the agents. They were really the only guys that I still knew. Everybody was pretty much gone. There was a few guys that might still be left. Uh, Mark, uh, the Undertaker, he was just kind of coming along when I got hurt. In fact, they called him Mean Mark Callis back then. And of course, he did the Undertaker. What a great role he played in that. He's a good guy. And uh, see him and Michael Hayes and 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 a few others uh, talk to Kane. Kane worked for Corny uh, with Smoky Mountain Wrestling before he went with Vince. So uh, I talked to Eddie Guerrero's wife. Uh, I forget her name, but just uh, like I said, just to say hello to a few people. And I wandered into the main room, and um, I get a "Hey Tommy," and I look up, and it's Paul Bearer. Uh, you know, the guy that used to have the urn with Kane. And, uh, hey, what do you know, Paul? And Come on up. So we're sitting there talking, and this, this big bald guy in a suit comes out and looks up at me. And we didn't pay any attention to it. And then he asked to speak to me. And next thing I know, he's walking me out and taking my backstage pass. And I, you know, What's going on? I mean, I've, I've worked for this organization. I'm Tommy Young. What are you doing? And he just, he wanted me out. And this guy's twice my size. I thought he was one of the guys at first, but he was a former police officer. He's one of the, uh, one of their security guys. And uh, anyway, he walked me out. And I, was, I didn't know what the hell was going on. And I wound up standing in the middle of the street. And I was, what the hell just happened? So I called Robbie up. 
and he was he didn't want to touch it. Uh, the referees up there are very job scared, unfortunately. I was never job scared when I was here. Maybe I should have been, but I wasn't. But anyway, somebody had me thrown out, and I don't know who it was. Uh, I don't know that I had heat with anybody, although I, Arn Anderson is not the friend that he used to be. But I don't know that he did it. I don't. But somebody put that guy up to that. But he threw me out. And I was so damn mad that, you know, when the grandfather and the boys were going that night, I said, y'all just go ahead. I'm not going. I'm not going down there after that. Screw that. And uh, they've been here in town a couple times in Charlotte. Uh, Steamboat and Don Cronoldo were both down one night calling me, come on, get on down here. Nope, I ain't coming down there. Not anymore, Nat, after what they did. And uh, never found out who did it. I know I never will. But, I mean, that's humiliating. You know, you're going to see old friends. And I was treated like I was a spy or a, or a mark or, or something, you know. Somebody somebody put that guy up to that. I don't know who it was. I don't think it was Johnny Laurinaitis. He and I are old friends. He was there at the time. I didn't see him, but I know he was there. Vince was there somewhere. So I don't know what happened. But uh, I got run out of there, and I, I told everybody I knew. Uh, every journalist I knew spread it around. I'm not active on the computer. Uh, I'm afraid of the computer. I'm not on Facebook or any of that stuff. I just I hide from that. I'm just afraid of it. People tell me, God, there's so many people out there that like to talk to you. You ought to get on Facebook. I said, well, there's so many people on Facebook now. Uh, there's also I, I'm afraid of the computer. I mean, there are so many smart people that are hackers. I'm afraid I'm going to get all my information stolen, and I don't know. I'm just, I'm an old-fashioned guy. I still pay my bills with a, a check, an envelope, and a stamp. I don't pay stuff on, I'm, I'm afraid of that stuff, so I just don't do it. But somebody threw me out, and boy, I tell you, that hurt my feelings, brother. <laughs> I will never forget <laughs> that. Never. That is crazy, you know, wrestling legend referee getting thrown out of a WWE show, but uh, I guess times have changed. They're a little weird now. But in 98, when you were there, did you like that NWA invasion angle? I know you said Cornette brought you in, and obviously you still had the, the neck injury. But did you like that, or were you surprised that WWF was doing it somewhat of an NWA invasion angle? Well, it, yeah, it was kind of like an answer to the NWO. Remember the NWO? where, you know, Hogan came over, you know, Vince let Hogan go, and uh, I think Savage went over, I think they were calling, calling the Hulk the Huckster, and and I forget what they were calling Randy, they were making fun of him. But anyway, that was the, the only time, I think, that WCW was actually beating Vince. The NWA, NWO thing was getting over pretty well. And and Vince was losing. He was looting, losing the ratings war at the time. And Corny was working for Vince. He was one of the advisors. And Corny wanted to come up with a thing. The NWA or NWO was basically the uh, the WCW was being invaded by the WWE. So Corny was trying to put together. Well, let's let's do it the other way around. Let's have the WWE being invaded by the NWA, and of course, I was synonymous with the NWA, the National Wrestling Alliance, you know, the original body, 
that uh, formed, uh, you know, right around the beginning of the 1900s when they had like Frank Gotch was the was the champion. And anyway, uh, and Corny called me about it. Said we want to do a thing where where we're uh, you know uh, like an answer to the NWO. And I said, sure, I'd love it. And he said, we'd like to have you do these shows in uh, in Dallas, uh, Texas, and then uh, Waco, where the, if you remember, where the Branch Davidians were killed, Waco, Texas. The Monday show, uh, of course, was Raw, and the Tuesday show would be the SmackDown show. And uh, I said, sure, Tony, or Tony, uh, Corny, uh, I'd love to do it. And I and I he said okay I'll get back with you and I hung up the phone and I started laughing like crazy I thought very funny corny yeah yeah Vince is gonna hire me with my neck but I knew he'd call me back and damned if he didn't call me back about a week and a half later Tommy it's all set we're gonna FedEx the plane tickets to you you'll be coming in here to do the w uh do the raw show and then the following night you'll do the smackdown show and i remember telling him corny does vince know what happened to me does he know i have a partial disability that i had to leave the business that i don't belong in the ring and corny wouldn't answer me he said everything's going to be fine nobody's going to be touching you or nothing and I thought, well, it isn't so much that, that I'm worried about somebody touching me. I'm afraid that I'm going to get carried away and do something I shouldn't do. And uh, But I thought, okay, if you want want to do this, but I'm telling you right now, you guys are taking a chance with me. And at the time, I was 49, just getting ready to turn 50 because it was early uh it was early 98, so actually I was 50. I was going to be 51 that year because I was born in 47. So, um, yeah, I was 50 years old and uh, still in reasonably good condition. It's been a long time now. I mean, it, God, that's almost 20 years ago, and it seems like it was just yesterday. But he sends me the tickets, and I, you know, I, I took off from work because I was working for a, a, a dealership here, a Toyota dealership. I was driving their parts truck. Um, and they gave me the time off. Go get them, Tommy. And I'm, I remember I'm driving to the airport, and I'm thinking, what are you doing? You don't belong in the ring. What the hell are you doing? And yet I'm going. I'm going. And I get down there, and Earl and David are both there, and, they, and everything was taken care of. I mean, plane ticket, uh hotel, even the cab to and from the building. The only thing it wasn't taken care of was the booze. And they fed you during the day, so that was taken care of too. So I mean, uh it and it we it went off without a hitch. The the very first night we um I I I was introduced, you know, as uh, you know, invading the WWE uh, Corny put me over like crazy. Jim Ross and uh, and Jerry, Jerry Lawler were doing it at the time, and and uh, I I did a match between the Rock and Rollers and uh, these kids called the Headbangers, a couple of nice guys who were also at Wrestlecade, along with everybody was at Wrestlecade this last <laughs> this last Thanksgiving. There was a ton of guys there, but anyway, uh, so I did that match, and then did another match later. Uh, where uh, Barry Wyndham, um, you know Barry, um, 
he was teaming with uh, a guy named Bradshaw, John Layfield now. Uh, they they were kind of like the new blackjacks or something. But he turned on him, and Layfield came down swinging a bell, and we all bailed out of the ring. And we did that Monday, and then on Tuesday, I go down the ramp to do the return match between the Rock and Rollers and the Headbangers. And Sergeant Slaughter, who's an old friend and lives only about 125 miles away up in Burlington, North Carolina, uh, he comes down with Earl. And uh, they get in the ring, and you are not a WWE official. You're from the NWA. You have to leave. You're not reffing. And I told Sarge, I said, grab me, Sarge, because I started, you know, going for Earl like I'm going to fight him. Although if, if Earl got a snoot full of booze, he'd kick Tommy Young all over the ring. But they didn't know that. <laughs> but anyway, Sarge grabbed me. And, and anyway, we got into a big argument, and we're arguing all the way up the ramp. And Sarge is pantomiming, you know, and I'm, and I'm yelling. I'm saying, Sarge, let him hear us. Let the fans hear us. So I'm yelling, and he's not saying anything. He's just pantomiming. And uh, anyway, we walked up the ramp. I never refed that night. I just went to the ring and did not ref. I just simply walked back out, and that was the end of it. And uh, got got good money for those two shows. And like I was saying earlier, they were going to actually give me some house shows here in Carolina before somebody woke up and said, wait a minute, Tommy Young, he, he sued Turner. And uh, he... he we we can't use him, and Corny called up apologizing, Tommy, we're going to have to back out of those uh, bookings that you had. I said, well, now you guys have finally come to your senses. I can't believe you guys ever let me in the ring in the first place. But everything went off without a hitch, and it wasn't a live show that night either because back then, I, well, they still have it. They got that Westminster dog show that they have every year in New York, and it's a big thing. And when they have it, it, it knocks wrestling off. Uh, wrestling is, is taped that night. I mean, it's live for the fans, of course, but the actual show was taped. So it wasn't a live show on TV. It, it was, uh, I think it was shown on the weekend. And, and my nephew called me up and said, I just saw you in the ring. Are you back? And I said, no, it was just a one-time thing. And, and that's all it was. That's all I ever did for them. The only other thing I did was they sent a camera crew here, like I said, to interview me for the Steamboat uh, video. Uh, never did anything uh, with me for the Flair video, and uh, but that's okay. And uh, But I worked for Vince a couple times, uh, very good. And that's why I was so stunned when the guy ran me out of the building the way he did. I'll never understand what happened there, but it was really humiliating. I mean, Bearer's looking at me while the guy's walking out. He's got his arms up in the air like what's going on i don't know and and that was the end of it so i haven't been back there since still ticked off about it <laughs> but but uh what do you do so somebody had it in for me that night and they ran me out of there it can humble you real quick let me tell you memory definitely a crazy crazy story there and but you know, it's interesting that, you know, you were such an NWA guy, and like like you said, Cornette kind of brought you back for that. But in the actual NWA and JCP, was it very weird when they actually ended up selling to Turner and when it turned into WCW? Because it seemed like the Crockett's were on top of the world, and then all of a sudden they went under. So what kind of happened to the Crockett's there? 
That, you know, that is so sad. It, it really is, because we were. I mean, we we started these pay-per-views. We were the first ones. Starcade started in 83. WrestleMania started in 85. But we were the first ones to have the, you know, uh, the stuff going all over and and and, the, and all the, the gaudy stuff. We were the first ones to do that. Dusty was uh, putting that together. Dusty, uh, I made good money working for Dusty. I mean, I, I, I loved him a lot more than he loved me, but, but, uh, but he knew that I was good, and he really utilized my talents. He loved to use me because he'd use me for a lot of angles. But one of the big problems that really hurt us was that Jimmy Crockett, our big boss, purchased a couple of planes. Now, Vince never even had his own planes, and certainly not back then. Maybe he's got planes now, but he didn't have them back then, and I don't even know if he's got them now. But we had a 10-seat Learjet, and we had a 16-seat Gulfstream. Uh, It would go up to as much as 300 miles an hour, whereas, of course, the jet goes the jet speed you know and we would use the gulf stream pretty much for the eastern third of the country now it was really neat i mean you'd you'd be leaving your house at four o'clock to go to cincinnati and and you go to the private airport you know you don't have to go to the terminal or nothing because the plane's at a private airport and and you get on the plane and one hour you're in cincinnati and and the cars are waiting for you and take you to the building and then when the matches are over, the cars take you back to the plane. There's food on the plane. We're we're gambling. We're playing cards. We're drinking. We're getting back around midnight, and we're home at twelve thirty one o'clock after working Cincinnati, which is five hundred miles away. This was really special. Now the Gulf Stream, like I said, it only went up to three hundred miles an hour. So for for western trips, like say you know, Los Angeles or something like that, you you would fly commercial. They would fly me commercial. Uh, and, of course, the big boys, they would be on that 10-seat Learjet because that went everywhere. And one night, I'll never forget this, we, we had a show in L.A., and they flew me out there, and, you know, commercial. And, and the guys, uh, there were, you could get 10 guys in there, and Jimmy was almost always going. He he was one of the guys. He loved it. Jimmy, Dusty, usually the Road Warriors, uh, Nikita, uh, you know, all the big shots, uh, rock and rollers. Your main eventers uh, would be in in the Learjet, and and they would go that one night. They we had the show in, in L.A. at the Forum, which is where I think the Lakers used to play. I don't even think they play there anymore. It's a different stadium now. I think they tore it down. But uh, after the show was over, of course, I went back to my hotel room or went out and had to eat something. I don't know. Uh, the main eventers all jumped in the plane, flew over to Vegas, which is close by, and gambled all night and and then head to the next town. I mean, they this was really something. And those planes were expensive. The Gulfstream wasn't anywhere near as bad. But in both cases, they had to have two pilots in each plane. And it just cost a lot of money. And those planes, really, we couldn't afford them. And that was one of the big things that bankrupted us. Uh, we also had 
from what I understand, uh, uh, an accountant that was embezzling, I don't know if that's true or not, but I, I heard that it was, that he was somehow taking money or, or screwing the books up or something. But um, anyway, I, it just hit them that they had a cash flow problem. And um, they just got in too deep. Um, they, Like I said, Vince didn't have his own planes, and I think the planes were the main reason. There were some other reasons, too. Um they had a big tour in 85, and some of them did well, but some of them didn't. Uh, but the main thing, I think, was the planes. And, and there, was some, there, was some, uh, there was some stealing, I think, on the side, too. I don't know how much. But that, I think, was the main thing. And uh, they just got in over their heads, supposedly. They were in too deep. They didn't know how to get out. And Turner was a big fan of wrestling, and he... Uh, they they negotiated with Turner, and next thing you know, goodbye Mid-Atlantic Wrestling and hello World Championship Wrestling uh, WCW. And um, the sad thing about it is that I really wish to this day that the Crockett's had made a go of it, because I still think they could have. I don't think they had to sell out. They were getting themselves together. You know, they had gotten rid of the planes. And and they still had a very, very loyal fan base. I mean, really loyal fans in this area, the Virginias and and, and the Carolinas. Uh, We we draw in Florida. We we had a pretty big area that we could draw from, and it was very well-respected. And I was hoping they'd make a run at it, because if they would, I I would not have gone with Turner. I'd have stayed with the Crockett's. But they didn't think they could do it. And Jimmy's still living in Dallas to this day. All the other Crockett's are right here in town. As a matter of fact, I, I represent the Crockett Foundation, which is a foundation that deals with uh, uh, former military guys that, that come back you know, from uh, overseas sometimes with, with difficulty, with you know, uh, traumatic type of stuff, you know, brain injuries and and things like that and uh, i'm doing something for them uh, i got a couple things coming up in july i'm doing for them uh baby doll you might remember her she also uh is with the with the foundation uh the rock and rollers ricky and robert they help out and uh, jj Dillon, he's involved and uh, I don't know if there's anybody else. Maybe if I think Steamboat's involved, but I've never steam, seen Steamboat anywhere yet. But but I think he's involved too. And it's just I'm very loyal to the Crockett's, and I I wish that they had never sold out to Turner. I really wish they hadn't. I wish they'd have made a go of it. I didn't have to move. I mean, even though the the office became Atlanta as opposed to Charlotte, you didn't have to move. You could still live here. But it was it was never the same. Uh, it wasn't as much fun. And uh, now, what do you do? It's a changing world. But I really wish that they had made a go of it because I think a lot of people would have stayed out of loyalty, and um, the fans were really disappointed too. And uh, it it just they didn't do it, and uh, that was the end of it. Because the Crockett's had been here for a long time, long before I started, I think they were. I think the Crockett's were here in the 50s and, and certainly the 60s. And 
big thing back then was tag team wrestling. That really was popular in the Carolinas. And I'm telling you, nothing is more fun than referee in a tag match, especially if it's the Rock and Rollers and the Midnighters or something like that. You can have so much fun in tag matches because there's so much that you can do and so much that you can miss and <laughs> just just a lot of fun. But uh, tag matches were always a ball. But I really feel the main reason that they went under was those planes. Those planes were just too expensive. And uh, they should have gone with, with commercial planes instead of that, that, that Learjet was just so expensive. And they had to have two full-time pilots. Uh, I believe that was the main reason. There were others, but I'm pretty certain the main reason that the Crockett's went under was those planes. It's crazy because, you know, the Crockett's are so synonymous with the wrestling business and, and with that area and everything else. It was crazy to see WCW take them over. But as I start to wind it down here, you mentioned the Carolinas. You mentioned tag team wrestling. We talked Flair versus Steamboat. What is your favorite match that you had the chance to wrestle? Would it be Midnight's Rock and Roll Express? Would it be Flair, Steamboat? What's your favorite match that you've had to wrestle? Oh, without it, without a doubt, it would be Flair and Steamboat. There have been so many of them that that I don't really see how one can stand out. Uh, probably the most fun that stands out was the night in Louisiana that I talked to you about earlier, when all the all the world champions were there. And uh, that was one of the clashes. The first clash they had was in Greensboro when Flair wrestled Sting, and they went 45 minutes. And we had some celebrities there that night. They had the the kid, Jason Hervey, from the Wonder Years, who was very close to Terry Funk. And I'm still close to Terry Funk, a very, very good guy. He used to just beat me to death every night, and I loved it. I mean, he'd go around with Flair, and and that, and Flair would beat him. And after the match was over, he'd beat the hell out of me with the branding iron, and uh, got knocked around a little bit. It's kind of hard to work a branding iron too well. I mean, you got to hit the guy, <laughs> but but he was pretty good with it. But I just love Terry to death. I, I I a lot of respect for Dory, but boy, what a difference in the personalities of those two. I mean, you know, one is so wild and, and the other one is laid back. And the Briscoes are almost like that, too. Jerry's pretty wild, whereas Jack was laid back. So, uh, But I would have to say, without a doubt, it was Flair and Steamboat. Tag team-wise, without a doubt, the Rock and Rollers and the Midnighters. God, those matches were fun. But like I said, tag team wrestling was just a lot of fun. But, yeah, Flair and Steamboat. That was the one, and I would say the one in uh, in New Orleans stands out the most. Because and and that particular night, Jim Ross and Terry Funk were doing the uh, the commentary. That was before Jim had left and gone to Vince. He was still with us, and uh, uh, yeah, that one probably would stand out the most. There were other matches that were they had a great one in Nashville. Uh, a number of matches right here in Charlotte, all all over Greensboro. And, but there were a lot of matches that I really enjoyed. It. I, I got a kick working with Buddy Rogers because Buddy had a, a way of really getting heat. Trouble was, he could get it with the guys, too. 
and that kind of kind of hurt him. And uh, Blackjack never liked Buddy from the beginning. And when a guy that size doesn't like you, and he's a big, powerful, violent guy, uh, it can intimidate you. And uh, Buddy, I remember uh, we were doing TV, and you had to uh, have the guy sign releases. I told you earlier about being a stooge. That was something I hated because the guys did not want to sign those releases. And I had to be the one that going around getting the signature. And, and of course, those releases were so that they could, you know, uh, do the TV in any way they wanted to. And I think we've, we've got actually a, a something of a class action lawsuit going on now trying to get some royalties because Vince bought up all those tapes of the old matches that we did. And that's part of the reason that a lot of people know me. I, I have kids come up to me and kind of like the way you ref. And how old are you? Seventeen. I had to quit ten years before you were even born. He said, well, yeah, I know that. But he said, I, I see you. They got this wrestling network. I think it's a 24-hour network that he's got, Vince. And uh, they're, they're playing all those old tapes and stuff that we did years ago when, when he when he took over from WCW, he got all those tapes. And um, so people know me from seeing those old tapes because I've been gone so long. And so I say it's amazing that me being gone almost 28 years and being only a referee, and, and you're talking to me tonight. I mean, really, I would think, who the hell even cares about Tommy Young anymore? And it's just it's it's really something that way. I mean, when you think about it, the only umpire I ever remember was a guy named Ron Luciano. If you remember, if you ever watched baseball, he was always real theatrical in the way he would call guys out and he'd point at them and everything. And and that annoyed some of the ball players. But he did stand out. But aside from him, I don't remember any, any other referees in in. Yeah, you know, of course, that's the real thing too. Whereas wrestling is, 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 you know, it's staged. Although God knows, people say it's all fake. I said, please don't use the word fake, because my broken neck ain't fake. That stuff ain't fake. When the guys get slammed, brother, there is no invisible cushion there. They get slammed. Yeah, they pull their punches and stuff. My God, if you if you fought a guy full power, you can only wrestle about once every three months. The other uh, two and, and three quarters or whatever, you'd be uh, spend the time recuperating. So you know it, it had to be that way. So that's not really a very good word. And and some guys, good lord, they hit like trucks. Man, you didn't want to be in the ring with Stan Hansen. Uh, he called himself uh, Cowboy Stan. He actually broke Bruno's neck, and I think that was a real injury. But here's a guy, he'd take his glasses off, and he couldn't see. And he'd just obliterate people. And he was one of these guys that, well, if I hit you, well, too bad, but don't hit me back. In other words, he could beat the hell out of you, but don't come back at him. Don't hit him back. He didn't like that. So... It, I, I I didn't enjoy working with him. Um, Abdullah was tough because that Abdullah would come into the ring with a gimmick the size of a telephone pole, and I got to act like I don't see it, and I could have ten blindfolds on and I couldn't miss it. And I mean, Abby didn't even try to hide it from me. 
and and it got to the point where I would just stand back in the corner, and fans would say, "Hey, he's got this, he's got that, he's got that." I know he does. I can't do anything about it. Okay, I mean, you just give up after a while. You figure he's not working with you, so just let him do what he wants to do. You're going to get buried, but that happens. But uh, but you don't want you don't want the referee to get buried too much because you'll disgust the people, and if you disgust them, they're not coming back. They want to think, oh, my guy almost had it, but the referee missed something or he got knocked down or something. He'll get him next time. But if those fans think from the beginning that their guy's got no chance because the referee's corrupt, then they're not even going to come. So you want the fans there. But, you know, talking about Abby, uh, one of my early matches, I was going to wrestle him. And he was getting a big push up in the Detroit area. The guy that ran it was the Sheik, not the Iron Sheik, because that guy is not even a Sheik. He's Iranian, and Iranians are Persians. Uh, and uh, No, this was the original Sheik. He was from Beirut, Lebanon, and and uh, the real name was Eddie Farhat. But he ran the, the Detroit area, and um, they are giving Abby a big push. And he asked me, you ever gig? You know, cut yourself. I said, no, boss, I've never done it. He said, will you let him do it? And I looked at Abby, and his head looked like the Grand Canyon. And I thought, oh, my God, he's he's absolutely lanced himself, you know. And I'm thinking, what's he going to do to me? But, brother, it's called paying your dues. If you want to be a wrestler, there are some things that aren't going to be too pleasant sometimes. I, I told him, yeah, boss, I, I think he'll take care of me. And at the time, I was starting to do a transformation. I was doing reffing and wrestling. I was starting to ref more, but I was still doing a little wrestling. And we were doing TV one night, and, and I was supposed to put him over. So uh, he was going to cut me. So I thought, I thought, well, we'll see what happens. Well, anyway... When when uh, he gets in the ring and he's all wild and everything, and the referee's talking, of course, he's not paying much attention to the referee. And I was just wearing a turtleneck sweater, a white turtleneck sweater. And I thought, I have a feeling he's going to want to jump me. So I turned around and walked back to the corner, and I got one arm out of the sleeve. And wham, he hit me from behind. The rep calls for the bell, beats the shit out of me, and then lay, lays me over the ropes. Says, Here we go. Not that well, and I I didn't know what he was going to do, and I'm expecting you know massive pain on a big cut, and he's just real tiny little short, real short cuts. I didn't even didn't even hardly feel him, uh, and uh, but I didn't know that when you're cut like that, you're supposed to kind of hold the breath your breath to push the blood out. A lot of guys take aspirin for the matches if they're going to gig because it thins the blood, you know. And uh, I didn't know this. <laughs> and and I started bleeding after the damn match was over. But, I mean, he still, he took real good care of me. And and uh, I never, I, I mean, he beat me with the turtleneck still on, with the one arm still out of the sleeve. I, I had it on two-thirds. My still arm was in it, and but my one arm was out. And he he did, he did the, dropped the big elbow on me, and I mean the tremendous, loudest crash I ever heard in my life, but I barely felt him. And then I knew what he was going to do. We went one, two, and he pulled me up. 
And I thought he was going to do the big leg drop that Hogan always does. He did that, and then he beat me. And then I started bleeding after the match was over. So despite Abby making me look bad as a referee, as a wrestler, Abby took care of me, and I have to, I have to acknowledge that. And, you know, it's funny. Some guys look the same way they did from the beginning. Abby is one of them. He doesn't look any different now than he did 40 years ago. <laughs> he looks the same. J.J. Dillon's another one. Hasn't changed a bit. I haven't changed too much. The years have been kind to me, but obviously I've aged. We all age. But uh, I, ha- I had to say that about Abby. I hated reffing him, but he took good care of me. He could have he laid me wide open, you know, just to try to get over. Some guys will do that. Jerry Graham did that to a guy uh, called Emanuel Beach, Dr. Beach they call him, in the same city, Detroit. Jerry Gig Beach he took a blade and laid Beach open from the one end of his forehead to the other. And on top of all that, Beach is a bleeder. I never saw so much blood in my life. And I've seen a lot of blood in the ring, I'm telling you. That was the most frightening thing I'd ever seen. And he took advantage of him. Jerry was trying to get over at Beach's expense. There were some guys that would do that. And and I I was afraid that was going to happen to me, but Abby didn't do that. I gotta give him I gotta give him credit. He didn't. So Abby, my hats off to you for looking after Tommy. Awesome story and a uh, cool little blading story. Obviously, Abdul the Butcher, definitely known for that. But what is kind of you know what is Tommy Young? What are the fans going to remember you for? Kind of what is what is the lasting legacy? that Tommy Young left on the wrestling business. How can a referee have a legacy? I mean, come on. <laughs> I was a referee. I, I've got no legacy. I, I I had a great career. It was 15 years, and that's usually pretty close to what careers are for athletes, you know. Uh, it should have been longer. It was one of those things. But, hey, I could have been Christopher Reeve. When I Have, have you ever seen the tape? Where I got hurt. Have you ever seen that? Tommy Rich and uh, Mike Rotunda, right? Yes. Have you seen that match? Okay, yeah. well, uh, that uh, that happened at center stage in Atlanta. And um, But like I said, you know, 15 years, that was a good career. I should have had double that, but that's just the way it goes. But I could have been hurt worse because when it happened, I actually disappear out of the picture. Tommy, what he did, he was supposed to shove me the way he does. But if you notice, because you see it clearly, he, he either, I couldn't tell whether he stepped on my foot or he tripped me. It was one of the two. But, but he wasn't supposed to. He's got big feet anyway. And, and, he, and, uh, and the ropes were close because I was backing him up. And what he was supposed to do was just give me a shove, keep me going the same way I was going, like, get out of my way. And then Mike was supposed to dump him over the top rope, which he did. But what was supposed to happen is I was just supposed to fall into the ropes, like, hey, man, what the hell, take your time turning around so that I don't see him dump him over the top rope, because that's automatic DQ. This wasn't even the finish. This was a spot we were doing. This wasn't the finish. And Tommy, he'd been drinking. Um, he's always had a problem with the bottle, from what I understand. Um, I didn't know it. And um, whether that was the reason, I'll never know. There's no way of knowing. 
but uh, he tripped me, and I was out of control, and the ropes were so close that when I was falling, I tried to grab the ropes, but I missed them. My arms went through them, and I took the rope right between the eyes and that little indentation, you know, your nose to your forehead, and it just, it was perfect, and it just snapped my neck back, and I heard the Scott awful, and I thought, what the hell was that? And I remember being down, facing the audience, and and I didn't feel anything. It was it was the strangest feeling. It was like I was looking at my body, and I wasn't in it. And I knew right then and there, oh boy, brother, you're hurt. You're you're in bad shape right now, brother. You're hurt. And uh, they continue to wrestle because Tommy he's looking at Mike, and when Tommy shoved me. He stepped in front of me so that Mike didn't see me because Tommy was in front of me. Neither one of them knew I got hurt. They're continuing to wrestle, and I'm laying there. And and Mike covers Tommy, and you'll see him kick me in the ass, like, get over here. And I'm whispering over my shoulder, Mike, I can't move, I can't move. So he gets off of Tommy, you've probably seen all this, and rolls me over on my back. What's the matter? I said, I don't know. I can't move anything. So he didn't know what to do. He went back to Tommy, and incidentally, the lights dimmed. I don't know if the lights were the reason I missed the rope or what, but there was a problem with the lights, and they even talked about it because Jim Ross and Kevin Sullivan are doing the commentary. And Kevin Sullivan even says, we're getting ready to go into total darkness. Well, anyway, they, they, uh, by now, they're realizing in the back there's something wrong. Because, you know, they're watching the little monitors, the little TV sets back there. And why isn't he moving? What, what's the matter? Because you don't see me. Only the audience saw me hit the ropes. You don't see it on TV because, like I said, he shoves me and I go out of the picture. So they didn't know that I got hurt. Nobody did. Only the fans did. And uh, anyway, Nick Patrick, who I talked about earlier, and his uh, his brother-in-law, who I don't think is ref- ref- refereeing anymore, Mike Atkins, they both came to the ring. Nick came to me, and Mike got in the ring to finish the match. And um, anyway, I said, Nick, get me out of here. Pull me away from the action. So anyway, after the match was match was over, I'm sitting on the ring apron, and Flair came out, because Flair was the booker at the time, and uh, he said, what is it, Tommy? I said, champ, I said, I'm in, I don't know, man, and so he started pinching me, and I, the feeling was coming back, but it was coming back from my feet up instead of my head down, but anyway, uh, the feeling was coming back, and, you know, to make a long story short, they had to lay me open in the back of my neck. They couldn't go through the front. If they can go through the front, you you can return. Because a lot of guys have had their necks broken in this business. But if they can repair it through the front, you can come back. But when they got to go in the back and take the vertebrae out like they did with me, they had to do that with Arn Anderson, too, and he had to quit. So, But, I mean, I was never near death. In other words, when it happened, I didn't have any trouble breathing. Christopher Reeve couldn't even breathe. They brought him back to life. They really never should have, I guess, when you think about it. But but he had to have that respirator because he couldn't even breathe. He had about the worst break that you can get 
And that when he, I think he fell off a horse and went face first into the ground. Poor guy. But but he lasted a while. And that's one of my charities, the Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation, because I I for just a few moments I knew what total paralysis was, and I pray to God I would rather have AIDS. I'd rather have anything than to be paralyzed. I mean, it's one thing to be a paraplegic, you know, where, you know, you're in a wheelchair, but at least you can push yourself around. You've got your arms. But when you're a quadriplegic and you have nothing, whoa, I mean, you're nothing but a vegetable. Um, and, and fortunately, by the grace of God, I was able to... Uh, well, my career ended, but to look at me, you wouldn't know that I had a 25% disability. And occasionally I get back in the ring, although I don't want to get in the ring anymore. I'm too old now. But I got in the back in the ring a few times and did some things. Like I said, the thing in 98, I ref that tag match, and I did it, and it was all right. But I'm better off not to be in the ring. That 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 pretty much did it. That injury ended the career of Tommy Young. And that doesn't normally happen to referees. I don't know of any referee that ever ever got hurt like that. You don't expect it to happen to a referee. I always knew that I was going to get hurt because I worked so close to the wrestlers. I was always catching elbows and the nose and stuff like that. But that was because I wanted to be there for them, you know, be right. In. And and they would do things for me, like the thing with Flair. I mean, he'd sometimes he'd even take a bump from me on that shoving thing. You know, he'd shove me and I'd shove yep. back. And and when he'd shove me back and then start walking away, I thought, oh, he wants me to knock him down. Because, you know, he didn't want to take a bump when he's looking right at me. I mean, so it's like, oh, you, you caught me off balance or something, you know. But occasionally he'd even take a bump from me. And uh, he didn't have to do that. <laughs> and almost every younger guy that like I'll have two guys come up to me, would you honor us by reffing our match? And Brother, I'm not just old enough to be y'all's father. I'm old enough to be y'all's grandfather. I can't keep up with you young guys, but we'll slow it down. And You can't slow your match down for the referee. Come on. But anyway, a couple guys, I did that, and after the match was over, the heel gets up and shoves me. I thought, oh, no, he wants to do the flare thing. And every and then I shoved him back, and they take the bump for me, <laughs> just to do the flare thing, you know. So it just, you know, I you go back, and there are so many memories I got. We had a guy named Buddy Landell here, who had a perfect uh, gimmick with flare. He he was like the the other nature boy, and oh, it worked out good. I mean, I actually taught him the figure four, and he put me over for it. But Buddy had problems too. He died not too too long ago, and uh, but but he he got over real well here, and um, but but he had a lot of personal issues and and um, it it was a great career. Uh, but I I tell you that that thing when it happened, I knew I was in big trouble. I'd gotten stingers before where I got hit from behind. You know when it snaps your neck back and you get numb for a second. They call that a stinger. And I've had a few of those. They scare the hell out of you, but uh, kind of like a violent whiplash thing. But when that happened, I knew this was much bigger. But I never knew that my career was going to be over because I still remember the doctor coming in. I thought I was going to have surgery and return. 
And the doctor came into the room and said, now, you know, you're going to have to get away from the pounding. And I said, Doc, I can't get away from the pounding. I mean, our business is designed that I just have to get my ass kicked every so often. That's the way it is. I mean, I got to get pounded. He said, well, you have to understand, I've removed that vertebrae. We couldn't reconstruct it or do anything with it, but the protective vertebrae that cover your spine all the way up from the from the base of your skull down to your pelvis, they had to remove that because it jammed together and went everywhere, you know, the hyperextension. You know, you bend your arm, but it stops when it goes straight. It doesn't go the other way or you're going to bust all the bones in your elbow, you know. So that was it. And I said, Doc, I can't get away from the pounding. He said, well, you have to understand, I've removed all that vertebrae. All you've got is your spine now. And I can tap myself right now and give myself a little jolt, not too much, but a little, you know. And it was then that I realized it's over. It's all over. Your career is over, brother. And I got a small settlement. I really got screwed on that. But uh, I'm very grateful for what I had for the 15 years that I had. And uh, I've still got some good relationships with people. I'm close to Corny. Uh, Earl and David uh, Hebner, uh, I'm still good friends with Charles Robinson, helped him, although actually uh, others helped him too. But but uh, I'm close to Terry Funk, uh, talk to Bill Eady every so often. Uh, some others I'm not close to like I once was, but, you know, that that's the way it goes. But it was a great career, and uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, it was an honor, and it is an honor to be thought of the way that I am. But I still feel that the the king of the referees, in my opinion, uh, is, is Earl Hebner. I mean, I I may have been more well-known and, and for the time of, that I did it. I mean, I, I definitely stood out more, but that was mainly because of the way I refed. And, I mean, there were so many things that I that just came naturally that I thought were a good idea. Back when I was in the IWA, we had a guy called Eric the Red, big, huge guy, about 6'2", about 325 pounds. He would hit the turnbuckle so hard when the guy threw him into it that the ring would move. And it was a natural bump. I thought, you know, when he hits the ring, I'm going to go flying. Because the ring moves. I mean, stand on the floor, stand on a rug, and have somebody yank the rug out from under your feet. You're going to go flying. It's a natural bump. And all it did was put over how hard he's hitting that turnbuckle. And and uh, I would do that. I, if the ring, I, I would play it by how he hit it. In other words, if he didn't, if the ring didn't move, I wouldn't take the bump. But if it did, I would. I would just relax and let it be a natural bump. And uh, when I came here to the W W N W A Crockett Mid Atlantic, uh, we had Swede Hansen, and he was another big, huge guy, and he'd hit the turnbuckle, and I'd go flying, and they loved it because that's putting over how hard he's hitting that turnbuckle. I had one one of our uh, agents who liked to you know mess with me every so often, Sandy Scott, said, "Quit showboating." I said, I'm not showboating. It's a natural move. I, I, it's a natural bump. It's putting over how hard they're hitting that turnbuckle. 
the guys don't seem to mind it. Why do you? But he always gave me a hard time. He actually went to Jimmy Crockett, and Jimmy told me to quit doing it. So one time we were doing TV, and the guys had all picked up on it. They loved it. And it was a tag match. And and Swede took the turnbuckle, and I remember it was Steamboat and Youngblood were the other team. And Young, and Steamboat gave Swede the turnbuckle. The ring moved. Steamboat went flying. Jay went flying off the apron. Swede's partner took a bump, but he didn't fly off the apron. He just went down. And I'm standing there because Crockett told me not to take a bump. I thought, this looks great. Everybody goes flying, and I'm standing there. So what do you do? But, I mean, stuff, I remember when I went to Florida, and Dory, Dory was booking, Dory Funk, and he hit the turnbuckle real hard, and I took that bump, and he just loved it. And he said, yeah, man. I mean, everybody that, that I took that bump for appreciated the fact that I was making it look like they were hitting the turnbuckle super hard because they were. But those were just things that I, that just, they just came naturally to me. Uh, you know, there, there are different things that, like like if they were going, if they were doing one of those Indian strap matches where you had to touch all four corners of the ring, I mean, I would, I would be very demonstrative. One corner, two, three, and then I'd stand in that last corner and I'd say, this is it. And I'd keep pumping my arm like you hit this corner. You're the winner. Trying to make the people realize what's going on. I, I felt that that was important. Uh, I, I think the people appreciated it. I think I, I really think that I had less heat than the other referees. I didn't catch the flack that a lot of them did. But sometimes I did. I've had people smack me in the back of the head and spit in my face. And, and I, you know, it, it it can be tough. I mean, sometimes, you know, the bad guy wins and people are really mad. And a lot of times the security are more concerned about the wrestlers and they forget me. One time I was, I was left in the ring. Nobody, I, I, I couldn't get out. People are surrounding me. And I thought, what am I going to do if I leave the ring? I might get beat up. And the police were gone with the wrestlers, and the promoter realized it and sent a couple cops back out to get me because I thought the fans were going to start coming into the ring. There have been some pretty touchy situations, but I never never really got hurt. You don't go into the audience. Ole Anderson did that once, and he got slashed very badly by a fan in Greenville, an old man too. So you got to be careful about that stuff. But it was a lot of fun. It was a great career. Very grateful for uh, the way people have treated me, and uh, I'm I'm popular at these fan fests, but I don't cop an attitude with the people. I'll talk to anybody, pose with a picture, I'll sign an autograph. I won't charge ten dollars. Some guys charge ten dollars just for an autograph. It's a, and and fans some fans will pay it, and I I think I don't want to do this. I, uh, you know, these pe- these people, most of them aren't rocket scientists and, and doctors and stuff. Our people are, generally speaking, just you know, rural people, and and uh, they made us. Without them, we're nothing. And too many of the guys forget that, and I I will never forget that. The fans did it all. Um, I I really. Uh, Really was happy to do what I did. Never wanted to leave reffing. Uh, I wasn't very popular, but, you know, referee can't be. But I really, it was a lot of fun. Had a lot of fun. 
Wish I could still be doing it, but uh, got a lot of memories. And what a, a memorable, memorable career, Mr. Young. This has been awesome. I, I love this stroll down memory lane. Like I said, probably, you know, you could say Earl maybe, but arguably you're the greatest referee of all time. And can't forget that you are still doing some stuff with the Crockett Foundation. You can find them at crockettfoundation.com. Debbie over there is doing an awesome job. Obviously, she's the oldest granddaughter. Okay, so you know about that. Good, good, good. Yeah, put that that over, please. Yeah, Yeah. I'm glad we're – I'm glad we're – I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, she's awesome. The Crockett Foundation's awesome. And then Crockett Cup, too, is coming back uh, in New Kent, Virginia, from Classic Pro Wrestling on July 15th. And you will be there, so that's awesome, too. I will be there, yeah. Um, They were asking me if I would – well, they were asking me through Debbie uh, whether or not I would uh, do a match. And I thought, I I, I just can't. Uh, I will be 70 by then because uh, I turned 70 on July 9th. And uh, I've got an artificial hip, and and I got a partial disability. I don't belong in the ring. If it's two old timers like say a uh, Jimmy Valiant and a Bill Eady, two guys that don't want to do anything either, that's one thing. But if it's younger guys, I, it's just too risky for me to get in the ring. It really is. I'm. I told I told Debbie I'll take my stuff. And we'll play it by ear as to whether or not I'm going to ref. I don't think I'm going to. We'll see. I'm not going to say no. I'm not going to say yes. I'll definitely be be there, you know, to sign autographs or anything like that. But as far as getting into the ring, I really don't know. Uh, I kind of lean against it. Uh, We'll see what the circumstances are when I get there. I understand David's going to be there, Dave Hebner. I hope they both are there, and I'll probably spend the night with one of them. I doubt that I'll go up and work and then come back that same night. That's that's 300 miles from here. I don't, I won't be getting home till close to dawn if I do that. So, but uh, you're not, you're not going to be up there yourself, are you? Uh, yes, we are. We're going to be there with. Ronnie oh, you're going to be there. Oh, okay, John. Then, then I'll get a chance to meet you because you know I've only met. We don't know each other, do we? We haven't met, have we? No, unfortunately, no. Nope. Okay, well then I'll get a chance to meet you that night. So I'm looking forward to it, and I and I hope they do very well. And and the proceeds are all supposed to go to the uh, to the Crockett Foundation. I mean, once I found out that they were going to get it, I cut the money that I was supposed to get in half. I was supposed to get a lot more for the other thing that was canceled, but uh, I cut it way back because I want to help the foundation out. <laughs> oh well, but I I hope I've uh, I hope I've answered your questioned as satisfactorily as I can and and anybody that's out there uh, I appreciate you listening and I sure miss the business although what we have now is not what I remember it's not the same wrestling is not what it was when I was in it it's 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 totally different now and I don't watch it anymore but uh, Mm-hmm. But, I, you know, it's a changing world. I mean, maybe this was inevitable, but I, I really don't think that it had to be. But the thing is, when I was in it, people believed it. I mean, they may have been skeptical or, you know, but but they they really believed it. I mean, the fact that you're, you got to get out of there and people want to kill you, that tells you they believe it. You don't see that anymore. I mean, you know, if you watch in the half the time, 
the guys are coming right out of the stands, you know, into the ring, and nobody hassles them. And, you know, they can be fighting on, on the floor, and the fans are all standing around them with a beer, slapping them on the back while they're fighting. You didn't do that while I was in it because somebody might want to cut your throat. So people say, you want that? I said, well, they believed in it then. They don't believe it now. They know that wrestling is an act now. It's still a tough act. I mean, the guys still got a work ethic, and they work hard. I'm not knocking the guys one bit. But the simple truth is everybody knows that wrestling is an act now. They didn't know it before. They know it now, and I, and I blame Vince for a lot of that. So, you know, you can't go back. The only way you can go back is if you brainwash over everybody over the age of six because you can't just ask people to forget what they already know. And, frankly, I I, I don't really know how well they draw. I, I understand that sometimes they draw good, sometimes they don't. Uh, but... You know, Robbie tells me they draw all the time, but <laughs> I think he's just loyal to the organization. I don't know, but maybe they do. He's still doing pretty good, so I'm happy for him. But um, it's it's not what I remember. Uh, if I was to referee now, I wouldn't fit in the way I did back then. To a degree, I think I would, but not like like it was when I was, was in it. It was a completely different thing. Back then, they believed. They don't believe anymore. You don't see any heat at these matches. You don't see anybody getting mad. Nobody hardly even throws anything. Not that you want that, but you, <laughs> a lot of people tend to throw stuff when they get mad. And uh, you just don't see that anymore. I mean, the fans all know. It's an act. And that's too bad. When I first broke my neck, I wouldn't talk about what happened to me because to do it would be to expose wrestling, and I just didn't have the heart to do that. It was too good to me. I got calls from Entertainment Tonight, Paul Harvey, and newspapers, and I, I turned them all down. I said, I'd love to tell you my story, but I can't do it without exposing my profession, and it's been too good to me. Well, look at the interview we had tonight. I didn't try to hide anything tonight because there's nothing to hide anymore. And that's too mm, bad. True. But that's just the way it is. Um, so what we have now is not what I remember. I am old school, and I'm always going to be old school. And to all those fans out there that remember old school, long live old school, folks. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading.